so let's pray the prayers we go to Genesis chapter 4. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Help us to see what you would want us to see about your mercy today in this section of scripture that we're in. And we just thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, we're continuing the story of Cain and Abel. Last week we stopped with uh, the offerings where Cain's offering was rejected. And if you remember, Cain did not accept that he had sinned, he blamed Abel. <laughs> and we talked about how often do we blame others for our sin. Okay. You know, none of us ever do anything like that. You know, we never blame others for what we're doing wrong. Uh, but, you know, Adam and Eve did it. You know, Adam really did it nice. He blamed Eve and God. Eve blamed the serpent. Cain's blaming his brother. This is not something that is new. Our desire to blame others, the world's desire to blame others, is not new. It's all through, right from the beginning of humanity. So we're going to start at Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and, came, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries unto me from the ground. And now are you cursed from the earth, you which have opened her mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall henceforth yield un shall not henceforth yield unto her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall you be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from the face, and from your face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that finds me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Wherefore, therefore, whosoever slays Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any that find him should kill him. And Cain went out of the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east side of Eden. So we look at this section, and the first thing we go is how many people were on the face of the earth? You know, we only know of two kids that have been born so far, but later on we're going to be told that Adam and Eve had sons and daughters, even though we're only given three kids named Cain, Abel, and Seth. Alright? We know that this has to be within 100 and a little less than 130 years of creation because that's when Seth was born. And Seth is going to be given the name by Eve that I have a new son. Okay? Remember the last week we talked about Cain in her mind was going to be the Messiah. He was going to be the redeemer of the world and he turned out to be a bad boy. <laughs> nothing, nothing close to a redeemer. When Cain is cast out, slays Abel and cast out, she has Seth and she goes, now I've got another man from God. So, and so she's going to have this new hope. That happens when Adam and Eve are 130 years old. Now, how many people are in the world at this time? It depends on how, what kind of numbers you have idea. I gave them a, a really low number of having just one kid every two years, and those kids starting to have kids at 20 years of age. And I came out that there would be about 1,500 people in the world at that time. Now, God is trying to populate the earth, so it's quite possible that he's given them twins and triplets at this point in their time. So that number, I'm saying that number is very low. Then they could be, because they're trying to repopulate the world, having kids every nine months. 
which would then mean that number is even bigger. So very conservatively, I'm saying that at this point in, the, in this time, we're somewhere around 1,000 to 15, 2,000 people in the world in one tribe. All right, all right there outside Eden, growing together uh, for 130 years, getting more and more sinful each year. Why do I put this out there? Because a lot of people have gone, well, where are the other kids? Who's he afraid of? And we're going to talk a little more about that, but I'm just giving you an idea. There are some people on the world after 130 years of perfect bodies bringing this out. So we see this process going on. Um, and it's kind of interesting. Cain and Abel are walking along. Cain is still mad. He's harboring a grudge against his brother. And who knows what was said or how it was said. And all of a sudden he rises up and kills his brother. And God does just what he did for Adam and Eve. He comes to Cain and he says, uh, okay, Cain, where's your brother? What did he say to Adam and Eve? Uh, where are you? It's time for our nightly walk. Where are you? And they're hiding. And why did we say he did that with them? He was giving them the opportunity to confess what they have done. He comes to Cain and says, uh, by the way, Cain, where's your brother? The opportunity for Cain to say, you know, God, I just got so mad at him. I killed him. Please forgive me. He was there. That is not the option that Cain chose. Cain chose up a very smart aleck answer, like, uh, how should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to keep track of my brother? Well, he is the elder brother, so he probably you could make a case that he was supposed to be keeping a little bit of track of where his brother's at. But he's getting very smart alecky with God. This, this is kind of this kind of bold, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, first off, he's mad at God because God didn't accept his sacrifice, and he's complaining about that. And God's saying, if you just did what was right, you would be forgiven. You can have victory over sin by doing what is right, or you can be mastered by sin by doing what is wrong. This is the same thing we face every day. We can have victory over sin by confessing our sin to God and repenting from sin, or we can be made a slave to that sin. And as we're becoming a slave to that sin, we go into it wide-eyed and, and, and knowing, thinking we're having fun. As we enter the trap, and the trap snaps behind us, and we find out that we're not having fun anymore. If sin didn't have some pleasure to it, we would never sin. We go in wide-eyed to the sin, thinking we're having fun, thinking we're doing some good thing, and then the trap snaps behind us, and we realize that we're caught, and we can't get out of that sin in our own strength. The way we get out of that sin is we, first off, we agree with God. We confess our sins. And what does that mean? We've said this so many times. We say the same thing. God, this is a sin. It's not a mistake. It's not a... It's not a you know, a fault, it's not a failure, it is a sin, and I have chosen to do it, God, I am sorry that I have done this, I repent, I turn from it. And God says, that's all I need. That's all he needed from Adam and Eve to be able to be forgiven. That's all he needed from Cain to be able to be forgiven. And in both of their cases, they do what we normally do, make excuses. Well, God, if you just knew what I was going through, you would know that I had no choice but to, to get wasted and forget about all the problems. God, if you just knew the temptation I had when that person walked by with all that, all that good looks, I just couldn't help myself. 
as we went to bed together that night. God, have you just understood? But the thing is, he does understand because Jesus walked as a man going through all the temptations that we have to go through without falling. This is important for us to understand. When God gives us the chance to repent, we need to repent. Unfortunately, we usually will wallow around in the pigsty for a while, get really, really, really dirty. They start feeling we can't go back to God because I'm too dirty to go back before God and start wallowing some more in the pigsty in our, in our guilt of what we've been doing and then have more sins come along and then finally maybe decide that we've had enough and repent. God gives all through the scripture people the opportunity to repent and turn around. Jonah, go to Nineveh. No, God, I'm not going to Nineveh. I want to see that you want, you want to destroy God, Nineveh. God, they're our enemy. I want to see him destroy He runs the opposite direction. God brings him back. He repents. He preaches a wonderful wonderful sermon. Repent for 30 days. You're going to, uh, for 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. Goes up on the mountain to wait for them to be destroyed. And they repent. And he gets mad at God. You know, it says, I knew you were going to do that. I knew if they repented, you'd forgive them, and I wanted them destroyed. That's why I didn't want to come. He still hadn't learned his lesson, even though he was obedient. We do the same thing frequently, too, so don't get too judgmental <laughs> of Jonah. How many times have we done something because we know we're supposed to do it? God, I'm going to give you my 10% tithe, and I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it, but I'm doing it because you're supposed you're supposed to, and God says, well, I'll take it, but you're not giving it with a cheerful heart. Paul says that God wants cheerfulness and obedience. God is not looking for us to be obedient just for obedience' sake. Now, if we're obedient for obedience' sake, it is good because the good consequences will still come for the obedience, but the blessings that would have come are not there. God says, I've got blessings for you for willingly surrendering your life to me. He wants us to willingly surrender, willingly give to him, and then he will bless. Now, we've talked about this. There's consequences for sins. There's consequences for good, for good behavior. But there's also blessings and curses that go along with both sides as well. And blessings, God is saying, okay, you've got the good consequences. You didn't have bad stuff coming away, but I was looking to bless you. Give us so much super abundantly more than what we wanted wanted done if we just did it with the right attitude. He's giving Cain this opportunity. Cain, where's your brother? Cain, are you willing to admit that you have killed your brother? And Cain gives him a smart out smart out answer. How would I know? Am I am, am, was I was I was I assigned to keep track of my brother? Am I my brother's keeper? And God then tells him killed your brother. His blood is crying out from the ground. I wonder what does God feel? I mean, if he felt that bad when Cain, the first recorded murderer, killed somebody, how does he feel in our day and age? With all the blood that's shed, is all that blood calling out to him? I believe it is. What a noise and racket that goes before God's ears every minute, every day. Because of all the violence and what they've been shared. 
And even if it isn't physical blood, Jesus said, if you hate your brother without cause, you've committed murder in your heart. Does that go before God as well? I think so. He hears and suffers from all the, the violence of this world. He created a perfect world. I can't even imagine what a perfect world would be like. No animal was killing another animal. No weeds. No thorns. No bad weather. Nobody with bad motives toward each other. Nobody trying to hurt anybody else. This is what he created. And man's sin has brought chaos and disaster into this world. Now God is still there. He's got a plan. What looks like chaos to us is not chaos to him. He, he sees it from a much different perspective. But he created a world that was good. Man fell and turned that good creation into a mess. Now, I sometimes wonder, was Cain really the first murder that ever happened? Or is he just the first recorded murderer in this? Because we look at, at, at the punishment, God, God says to him that the ground is not going to give you as much thing. Now, we already have the ground giving thorns and thistles to Adam and Eve and their descendants. And Cain is getting another curse on top of that and saying, even what you have is not going to grow for you. Can you imagine what that would be like in an environment where if you don't grow your food, you don't eat? No. They're kicked out of the garden. They're tilling ground. And he's going to be made a vagabond. He does not have plots of food. He's going to have to eat what he can find out there. And a vagabond and a, and a wanderer. He had no home with the rest of the family. And it ends up he takes his wife with him. And people, one of the biggest questions that people will always ask is, where does Cain get his wife? He got it. He married a sister, obviously. If he didn't marry a sister, he didn't marry a human being. So he married a sister, and he and his sister were cast out. And she went with them, and he started an entire new tribe and civilization that wasn't founded on God's. Because he says that he was kicked out of God's presence. Now, I kind of think this is kind of an interesting thing. He says, I'm being kicked out of the presence of the family, and God, I'm being kicked out of your presence. We know one thing for sure is he wasn't kicked out of God's presence, but he was kicked out of the awareness of God's presence. Have you ever been in a place where you have sinned or backslidden, and you are absolutely sure that God is nowhere near you because you are so sinful and so bad that there is no way that God is anywhere near you, and you don't feel his presence? This is where Cain's at. God, you have punished me. You, you have not accepted my sacrifice. You've now been mad at me because I, I've killed my brother. You've now cursed the ground, ground, and you're kicking me out of my family. And now I'm driven from your presence. He was not planning to seek God. Do you know how miserable you are when you walk away from God and try to live outside of his presence? It's not ever recorded that Cain ever goes back talk to God. His family is going to be a gener generation after generation of people that aren't listed as good people. He's building a line against God. And in his case, he's literally talked to God. Which is going to make his <coughs> being put away from God even harder. 
it's hard enough for us when we get out and walk away from God and know, you know, when you when you walk away from God and you try to live on your own and you know that you're not happy in the sin that you're living in, and that you know that things are better for you, you are doubly miserable. Because the sin isn't building you up the way you thought it would anyway, and it never did in the past either. The world gets trapped in their sin, thinking they're getting what they want, and then get to the end of it and realize it didn't give them what they wanted in the first place. And when we backslide and get back into sin that's not going to give us what we want, and we realize what we no longer have, we get miserable if we won't repent and confess our sins. This is what's important for us. Sometimes we get so interested. We look at these people who seem to have everything all together. They have money. They have fame. They have respect of people. And we think, wow, they've got everything. If I could just have what they have, I would be happy. No, you wouldn't because they're not happy. Without God, they are not happy. How do we know? Same way I tell us all the time. They're committing suicide. They're getting drunk. They're getting getting uh, stoned on, on, on drugs, trying to escape what they have because they are still not happy with what they have. Without God, we will have nothing. Cain is pulled away from God, and there's never a place we're told Cain repents. Never. God gave him the opportunity, and he didn't repent. At least with Adam and Eve, we're not told that they repent, but God gave them a sacrifice which shows that they must have repented. When he pointed out to them that what you have is not enough, he provided the sacrifice on how to come back to him. Cain knew this sacrifice. Abel knew that sacrifice. That's why he shed blood for the forgiveness of sin. Cain comes in with his works and saying, God, I want you to accept me for everything I can do for you. We've got to be careful not to do that with God. Cain is rejected. And he says, God, everybody who sees me is going to want to kill me. Now, this is why I'm not sure that he's the very first murderer, or did God give them a very strong uh, legal system. It could be either way. Because he knows that the vengeance of the kill, of the, on the murderer is to die. So it's possible God just said that he is the first murderer, and he just knows that because he killed somebody, he deserves to die. And it's possible that God put a legal system in their place for them, and that's what he's looking at. So he knows that, hey, you know, God, there's uh, 1,500 of my relatives now out there that are going to want to kill me because I killed my brother. Can you imagine what that would be like? And God says, no, I don't want that to happen. And it says he puts a mark on it. Now, what that mark was doesn't tell us. There's several places where God has said he's going to put a mark on us. In the Revelation, he tells us that on 144,000 Jewish evangelists, he puts a mark on them, and they cannot be hurt during that period of time. He protects them. And on his people in Revelation, in the tribulation period, he puts a mark on the Jews so that they will be not touched by the tribulation areas and protected. doesn't mean that they're not going to have their, their lives taken, but something was done to Cain to say he's under God's protection. So anybody who saw him would say he's a marked man marked for protection, not marked for death. And God says, I'm going to protect you. You're going to live. Just as he did with Adam and Eve, I can't kill you guys because there'll be no human beings if I kill you. If I don't give you mercy, it's over. And Cain was given mercy. He deserved death. 
He had taken the life he deserved death. And God says, I'm going to be merciful on you. You're going to get to live. He did the same thing with Adam and Eve. And the day you eat of the tree, you will die. They died spiritually, but it took them another 900 and some years to die physically. But you know, we talked about that. What a miserable life that had to have been. Everywhere they go, every time they saw a sin committed, every time they saw thorns coming up from the ground, to realize it was their fault. I don't know that I'd want to be that alive. It almost would have been more merciful to have been killed right off the bat. Because the emotional pain that they went through. Cain, every child he looks of his and his wife, you've got to look at and say, they're isolated from the rest of their family because of my sin. They may not have even been that rational because he's still blaming Cain. I'm blaming Abel because Abel's gift was accepted. We have to be careful, number one, that we don't blame others because when we're blaming others for our problems, we're not going to get over them. We're not going to get to the place where we need to confess and repent. We need to be careful. This is all the 12-step programs have the same basic principle. You have to admit that you are have a problem. It isn't their creation. It's God's creation to admit that you have a problem. How do we start getting over sin? We admit that we have a problem with that sin. Then we learn to, to ask for forgiveness from God to help us. And then we start leaning on the body of Christ, our fellow, fellow friends and to help us to get over it. Because Satan doesn't mind those first two steps. He doesn't mind us admitting that we have a problem. He doesn't even mind us going to God. But if he can keep it secret, oh, does he have power over you. And he'll go, well, you know, if, if that church just knew what an evil, awful person you are, they, none of them would have anything to do with you. And we get paralyzed. And we stay in that sin. Eventually, it's going to come out anyway. But you know, you shout it out to the entire church, not necessarily, but you find some good Christian brothers and sisters in the church that can help you and say, I've really got this problem and I need help. I need you to pray with me. I need you to hold me accountable. It's important to have somebody that says, you know, hey, now how are you doing in that area? Not judgmentally, but you know, I got guys in my life that know my problem areas and every once in a while they'll call me up and go, how are you doing? this area. It's important because Satan loves having things hidden because that gives him power. If they just knew who you were, they would, you know, they knew how bad you were, if they knew how stubborn you were, if they knew, if they knew about your whatever, put in your put in your signature and if they really knew about how bad you were, none of them would want to be around you. And you know what? It might very well be true, but when it's brought into the light, you can get victory over it. And then you're not that same person anymore. Cain is going to live in the loss of his life because of this. The loss of the respect of the family because of this. He is going to be a wanderer. He's going to be put away from the family and kicked out. At this point in time, the, the family is living just outside of Eden, you know, wishing they could get in, wishing they could get back. God said to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, the whole earth. And they never go out and do it. After the flood, when we see it, no one in his family is going to be told, go and replenish the earth. And 
hundreds of years later, they're still right in the same area where they got off the boat. And God has to do a great miracle to get them to move called the Tower of Babel, where he confuses languages and they scatter all over the earth because they cannot communicate to each other. But God forces them. Adam and Eve, supposed to be you know, filling the earth and are all right outside Eden. And Eden is guarded by the cherubim saying, you're not coming in. Cain is pushed out of that family and goes further east to start his family his nation that he's going to start. He's going to be destroyed at the play. But God is so merciful. He was in that presence. He was following in his own footsteps, his own wisdom. God, I refuse to repent. What happens to us when we refuse to repent? God makes us miserable. What happens when the world refuses to repent? They go to hell. Our job as Christians is to give them the gospel message and let them choose to repent or choose to not repent. Our job is simple. All we got to do is tell them that all people are sinners, all people deserve punishment. God died for your sins. Will you accept that gift? That usually takes a little bit longer than that to present that to them, but you can present the entire gospel message in 30 minutes, uh, 30 seconds and ask them, do you want to accept God's sacrifice? Do you want to have this gift? It doesn't take long. Now, hopefully you take a little bit longer on that because the first thing you got to do is get them to admit that they're a sinner. That's easy for some people, not, not easy for others. Then you have to get them to really know that they deserve punishment. Because usually what we hear is, well, I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. I hope I've done enough good to get into heaven. You haven't. Real simple. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Every single person does not. There's not a single person who deserves to go to heaven no matter how good they are. In Isaiah, we read the verse, and I love this verse. I've never really stood out to me that it says, God will declare your goodness and your righteousness to you, and it will be of no profit. At the way through judgment, people are going to be talking about all the good that they've done, and God's going to go, let me help you. <laughs> Let me help you. I'll tell you the rest of the good stuff that you You're having trouble thinking of all the good stuff you do? I will tell you all the good stuff that you did. You're still guilty. Why? Because he's a good judge. Judges do not give, give uh, guilt or innocence by what we did right. They, they judge on what we do wrong. God is a good judge. He says, oh, you've done lots of good. Here's all your good. But this is the charge of being judged on this is the issue that you judge on. You rejected my salvation. All this good doesn't mean a thing. And every once in a while, you'll, if you ever go to court, it's kind of interesting to watch these people because a lot of people try to make that their defense to the judges. I've done all these good things, and the judges will always go, that's irrelevant. This is the charge that we're talking about. This is the charge that we're talking about. It doesn't matter what you've done good. It doesn't matter if you were perfect other than this one job. This is the job, the charge that stands before the court. God's going to do the same thing at the way throne judgment. Okay, here's all your good, but this is the charge that you're standing before the court on. You rejected my salvation. And you're going to find so many people guilty of the white throne judgment, he finds everybody guilty. Because of 
we've accepted Christ, we don't stand in the way to our judgment. We stand in the intimacy of Christ. But you know, this is what we need to be able to tell people. Cain did not go before God and even try to make an innocence. He didn't even admit that he had done anything wrong. And God summarily charged him anyway. Our job as Christians is to go out and share with the world the gift of Jesus. And that God is going to find them guilty without Jesus. And once they've accepted Jesus, he comes in and he changes who they are. How do we know that we are saved? Our life has changed. If you're there, you know what it means. You know when your life is changed. You know that God is in it, and you don't want to do the bad things that you always wanted to do. You want to serve God. Not that we do it perfectly, but we have the desire to serve him. We have the desire to repent. If we have the desire always to try to hide our problems from God and not read his word and not go to church, probably have to reevaluate our relationship with him. Do I truly know him? When you know him, there's no doubt that you know him. And I know there's many people in this church, they know God. You know, you see it in their face, you see it when they do something wrong, that they're they're really sorry and they go before God, and you see the growth that God is putting in their life. And you go, yes, this person is on the right track. They know God. When you act that way, you know that you know that you know. And there's not a, a, anybody, including Satan, who's going to convince you that you don't know. You know, that would be like any of us that are married, having try, somebody try to convince us that we, we're not married to our spouse. Well, you know what? I stood up front with them. You know, if you're the woman, you came down the aisle. If you're the man, you watched her come down the aisle. And we stood up there, and 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 that. Uh, pastor or that officiant gave us the vows and we and we said our vows and we we put it in with the court and we are married. Well, I don't think you are. Really, doesn't matter. We know that we know that we are. When we come to Christ, we know that we have made that decision because the Father tells us that we have. We know. He's made us a new creation in our life. If you don't know that, then you need to make that right with God and make sure that you know but it is so important to get there. Cain never repents, as far as we are told. He always lives within the sin. There are many people in this world that will never repent. The Father's desire is that none go to hell. He wants all of his children to be brought into him, just as all of us as parents want our children to be better, better off than we are and have all the benefits in, that, that we may not have been able to give them. We want them to do well. God wants all of that for his children. But he knows that so many are going to reject him. Small percentage, all through time, God has had a remnant of followers. During the time before the flood, it's Noah. Noah. Now, Noah's immediate family gets saved because of his obedience. Out of all the people that are in the world at the time, Abraham is chosen to be the follower of God. All through these times, Elijah complains, God, I'm the only prophet that's still out there. I'm the only follower of you. And God says, I've got 7,000 people that haven't, haven't bowed to me, bowed their knee. All through time, God has a remnant 
all through the Dark Ages, when Christianity was literally being massacred and destroyed, there was a group of followers that followed God and held Christianity in its proper place. In our time, in the dim days, he tells us that there's going to be a remnant of believers that still believe. God always has a small number of people that follow him. And even in the good times, we, in our Bible reading, we're reading about Josiah. Josiah brings the nation back to God, but most of them are not true followers of God. During the great revivals in America, there's been three of them in the great revivals, and even in that period of time, only a small remnant of people truly believe and follow God. Many get righteous and, and look good because that's what's right in everybody's day-to-day -day work, but not all of them follow God. God always has a remnant of believers. We're starting to see it even in today's world. So many churches no longer teach the Bible. So many churches do not believe the Bible. So many churches do not believe in Jesus Christ. And yet they call themselves Christian churches. And if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, I do not know why you could call yourself a Christian church. And yet there's lots of them out there. It's becoming a small remnant of churches that actually teach the word of God. Teach that Jesus Christ is the way to God. Teach that the Bible is God's word. We need to be thankful when we find these churches, when we find these teachers, and really give God the glory because it's getting harder and harder. Now, the sad thing about it is persecution brings out the remnant. The persecution makes us decide, do we truly believe? It's kind of interesting when you read about the iron, the, the churches in the Iron Curtain where you went to prison for preaching and teaching Jesus, they went out on the street and preached and taught Jesus. We can hardly get people in America to go out and talk about Jesus when, when it doesn't cost anything. And then the Iron Curtain, the Bamboo Curtain, those guys actually went out and witnessed boldly, not stupidly right in front of the, the guards, but they went out and they boldly preached the gospel and talked to people about Jesus. We as a remnant need to get that way. Because there are so many people out there that don't know Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except by Him. And He said, many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And He will say, depart from me, I never do you. Most of these people in these churches that don't know Him are going to be told, depart from me. Even in good churches, there are a lot of terrors in the, in the, in the good churches, people who don't know Jesus that pretend to be Christians and look like Christians. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never do you. We need to know Him. It's not by our good works. It's not by coming to church. It's not by reading the Bible. It's not even by praying every day. Many people pray to the ceiling and not to God. Many people read the Bible and it's not God's Word. They're just reading a book. Many people come to church to be entertained or put in their requisite one hour a week with God. And when they're done, they think, okay, God, I've done everything you need me to do. I'm good. God says, no, I want you to be totally dependent upon me. We need to be Christians 24-7. Why do so many teenagers leave the faith and the church? Because they look at parents and churches that aren't Christians 24-7. They go, well, 
mom and dad's good for one hour one hour a week at church. The rest of the week, I don't know who they are, but they tell me I'm supposed to be a good Christian, but they don't seem to be a Christian. They're going to work late, they're coming home early, they're drinking, they're doing their drugs, they're lying, you know, they're not paying their bills, and they're telling me I have to be a good Christian. And eventually they just fall away from the church. You can still be a good Christian and good, you know, be a Christian 24-7 and still have your kids go bad. Don't get me wrong. But so many of them, believe me, I taught, I taught children for a long time and had to stop many of them from telling me about how bad their parents were. Because it didn't matter. I would tell them, it doesn't matter what your parents are doing. It's what are you doing with God. If your parents aren't good Christians, that's beside the point. But what are you doing with God? That's the same question for each of us in this room and listening on the Internet. What are we doing with God? Are we choosing to follow Him with all that we have and all that we are? Or are we playing games? And even as Christians, we can play games. You know, going to heaven, but still be playing games with God and not giving Him 100% of us. He wants 100% of us. If you really want to know the joy of the Lord and the strength of the Lord and the power of the Lord in your life, you need to give Him completely possession of you. A living sacrifice. Totally given in. God, I don't want what I want. I want what you want. Total surrender. And the more we surrender to God, the more we're going to get to know and the more we're going to see victory in Him. You want to walk in victory with God? Surrender to Him. And then let Him be your victorious champion. He's waiting to be your champion. He's waiting to be the knight in armor that most people are waiting for our defender, our protector, if we will just surrender to him being so. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and mercy. Lord, we ask you to be with us as we go about our business, that you will guide us. Lord, teach us to surrender to you. Lord, if there's any that are listening to this message that doesn't know you today, they will admit today, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve the punishment of hell. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Come into my life and forgive me. And then let somebody know that you made that decision. We just thank you for that. We just ask you to be with us in today. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening, friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church P.O. Box 65 Chloride, Arizona 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.